Welcome to the C3V podcast. You know, churches, church was never meant to be a building. That's not what defines church. Church is, church is a community. Church is, is a people, an imperfect people coming together, acknowledging a perfect God. Joining arms, linking arms, doing life together. That, that, is, that is church. And really that's been almost at the centre here of, of what I've been doing over the past couple of weeks here in a heart for the house. You know, our main text, I'll just read it here, is 2 Corinthians 8, 10 to 12. I'll give you a recap here. But it says, so here's what I think. The best thing you can do right now is to finish what you started and not let those good intentions grow stale. Your heart, it's been in the right place all along. And you've got what it takes to finish up. So go to it. And once the commitment is clear, you do what you can and not what you can't. Because the heart regulates the hands. The heart it regulates the hands. And I think we're just coming into a season where God wants to do a bit of work on our heart. That over these past few years, there's been a lot of people whose heart has been hurt. And the Bible says that it's out of the abundance of the heart that your mouth speaks. So what's going on in your heart is what will come out of your mouth. What's going here, he says the heart regulates the hands. What's going in your heart will regulate what your hands do. You know, so, whether, so if your heart's right, then most likely your thoughts will be right or your your words and your actions will follow along with your heart. So God's intention is always for us to get our heart right because our heart regulates the hands. But we can get into a place where we're so broken and we think that we've messed up so much that his promises no longer apply to us. But things like this and things like communion and walking together join us back up and almost pick us back up and put us back on the path that says that this was enough. That that was it. That you haven't done so much that this doesn't apply to you. I always love, it's kind of like the imagery of us standing on the ground and that the cross was above us. That Jesus wasn't lying on the ground, that he was above us. And so whenever God looks at us, it's through a cross to see us. Because that was always enough. And we can think that we've done too much. But he just says, no, this is enough. So take the body because my body was enough. Take take my blood because my blood is enough. This is enough. And we need to get into church where church is a place, that this is a place of revelation, not just information. That it's not just me saying it's enough. It's a place where you can grab a hold of it and be in a place like this in a time of worship where his spirit's moving and you realize, oh my goodness, that is enough. That is enough. Because our call has always been to be the church and to love the church, to serve the church, to care for the church. But he says it's your heart that regulates. It's your heart that starts up into the regular, consistent, is from your heart. Your heart is like the engine that pumps through the regular, consistent part. The Bible says that we can learn the, the unforced rhythms 
practices of grace, but that's what regulating is. It's like the unforced rhythms. It's what my heart does, my hands do, because I can't, I can't stop it. It's just what comes out. And then last week we looked at the story of Elijah and Elisha. It would have been great if they went with like Elijah and, and Dave or something. Like, not so close. And then I made it more complicated by talking about being here and being over there. <laughs> but we can get so captivated by what's going on over there that we miss what God's doing here. And you're going, God, I, I, I need to be over there, but God's called you here. And we found Elisha with a heart for here, saying, God, I know you've got her there for me, but right now I'm here. And as long as I'm here, I'll put my hand to the plough, I'll get out in the field, I'll sow some seed, I'll plant some crops. Because when you call me to there, those that I leave here will be blessed because of what I did here. Because you can only live in one place at a time. But sometimes people get so captivated with their there that they become no good for here. And when you finally go to there, people go, well, thank goodness he's not here anymore. But Elisha had such a heart for here that when he went there, it said that his whole family celebrated. Because when you have a heart for here, when God finally moves you to there, your family can celebrate with you and not be like, don't let the door hit, hit you where the good Lord split you. That's not in the Bible at all. And when, I, and when Elisha... So hard to get these right. When Elisha does finally move to there with Elijah, he says, wherever you go, I'm going to go. You've walked a hard path, but now for this, whatever's left, whatever remains, I'm going to walk with you. Because even though I'm there, I'm not fully there. And I need more while I'm there to do what I'm meant to do over here. Because, because agreement always precedes anointment. You can't be out of alignment and, in a, and have anointment. It doesn't work. If you have two visions, it's only division. It's not alignment. But anointment always precedes alignment. And he gets under him and he says, now wherever you go, I'm going. And Elijah said oh, time and time again, look, you don't need to come here. Just go home. But he stayed committed to his commitments. He said, no, we're walking together now. And it's funny how much it answered one of Elijah's deepest issues that he has all through Scripture is the feeling that he's alone. But it took the next generation to come up under and say, I've got to get, you're not, you're not alone. We're going to walk here. You have done it tough. You have, you've sowed seeds and you've had victories and you've had battles. But now know that wherever you go, I will go with you. Because I'm in, al I'm in alignment. I'm in agreement. You know, and they went through all the different places. They went to Gil Gilgal. 
which was the place where manna ceased. And we looked at the word for manna just means, what's that? That when God tried to bless the Israelites, their answer was, what's that? And sometimes that's how we are with God. He said, you would go, I need to be blessed. And then he finally blesses you, but it's not how you thought it was. And you go, what's that? What's that? Or God says, look, I want you to go and really bless that person. And you go, what's that? (laughs) You see, because here's the thing about the manna, and I didn't touch on this last week. But manna, manna could actually become a whole bunch of things. It wasn't that you just picked up manna and, and ate it. It wasn't, you know... Manna actually took a bit of work, but if you put in the work and you ground up the manna, then you could actually, it, it actually becomes like a flour, flour and you can bake bread. And sometimes God blesses us with, with something and we say, what's that? And he says, I just need you to do the work that's involved for it to be what you want it to be. You know, and we go, oh, hey, hey, what's that? But the heart, it regulates sowing and raping. And then they went to Bethel, the place where Jacob held on. But we also looked at Peter in the storm. Because there comes a point where we have to be more aware of his presence than we are of the storm. And that fear will always try and exaggerate what you don't have. But the spirit unlocks what you have access to. And fear is a crazy thing. It makes you say things that you never thought you would say. It makes you think things that you never thought that you would think. But you can't walk on water on someone else's revelation. You can't get out of the boat on someone else's revelation. And this needs to be a house of revelation because the heart regulates revelation. And we saw they went to Jericho, which is, you know, we fight a physical battle, not a spiritual battle. Heart regulates faith. Jordan, and then they cross the Jordan finally, because the heart regulates vision. And Elijah says to Elisha, what is it that you want? And Elisha says, I want double of what you have. I don't, you know, he'd just seen Elijah do miracle after miracle with his coat, but he doesn't ask for the method. He asks for the spirit behind the method. And we can get so caught up in the method of church if we just do this right, if we just do a couple of uh, fast songs and then a slow song. We have the lights right, if we can, you know, I don't know, get a bit of smoke going, you know, create the right, if we can just get the method right. But I just says, I don't want any of the method. I want the spirit. I want the anointing. I want what you have. He actually says, what you have, I want double. And you can go, oh, that's prideful that you would ask for that. But really, it's just one of necessity. That the battles that the generation had before us aren't necessarily going to be enough of anointing to get us through where we're going now. And Jesus even said, greater will you do than I ever did. Because we need more. We need to realize that we need more of the anointing. We need more of the Spirit. That's the answer, not a great show. Whatever, whatever this is. <laughs> if this is all you've got, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, anyway, we need more. So uh, this morning, I want to just carry on. I want to give you a little bit of con- context. I've been reading just those few short verses. 
Um, I've been doing what all great pre- preachers do. You just take a line, a couple of words, and then you build a whole message out of it. But this morning, I want to give you a little bit of context about what led up to those verses. Like, what was, what was Paul actually saying? What is the context? Because context is really great when you're reading Scripture. There's just a little FYI there. So if we back right up to the beginning of the chapter, Paul says this, Now, friends, I want to report to you the surprising and generous ways in which God is working in the churches in Macedonia. Fierce troubles came down on the people of those church churches, pushing them to the very limit. I love this, but the trial exposed their true colors. They were incredibly happy, though desperately poor. The pressure triggered something totally unexpected, an outpouring of pure and generous gifts. I was there and I saw it for myself. They gave offerings, whatever they could, far more than they could afford, pleading for the privilege of helping out in relief of poor Christians. This was totally spontaneous, entirely their own idea, and caught us completely off guard. What explains it was that they'd first given themselves unreservedly to God and to us, and the other giving simply flowed out of the purposes of God working in their lives. It goes on and says, That's why I'm not trying to order you around against your will, but by bringing in the Macedonians' enthusiasm as a stimulus to your love, I'm hoping to bring the best out of you. You're familiar with the generosity of the Master Jesus Christ. Rich as he was, he gave it all away for us. And in one stroke, he became poor and we became rich. So here's what I think. The best thing you can do right now is to finish what you started last year and not let those good intentions grow stale. Your heart's been in the right place all along. You've got what it takes to finish up. So go to it. And once the commitment is clear, you do what you can, not what you can't. Because the heart regulates the hands. I love that it says the trial exposed their true colors. (laughs) You know, James says, count it all joy when you're going through trials. It's like a trial revealed what's in our heart. And I think we need to, sometimes thing is like that we think that um, that every tough time that we go through is because of the devil. He's out to get me. It's out. You know, God. Uh, the Bible says that God tests, but He doesn't tempt. So, but sometimes we think that we're in a test, and we're like, "Oh, it must be getting." Te-. No, it's just. It's like this is saying. It's God putting a little bit of pressure on us to see what's in our heart. What's the pressure going to reveal? It says that the trial exposed their hearts. And when the trial exposed their hearts, they took the little that they had, they took the seed that they had, and they sowed it. Because their heart regulates their hands. They say, we don't have much, I don't have a lot, 
We aren't well off here. But what I do have, I offer to you. What I do have, I let it go. You see, there comes a point where we actually have to do the things that we believe. Because you'll, you go on Instagram or Facebook and there's some great posts about some beautifully illustrated scriptures and they look pretty. But there comes a point where you've actually got to do what the scripture is saying, not just post about what a scripture is saying. That we've got to do what it says, that we, that we can't just highlight, we can't just share. You see, sometimes I think we can get so caught up in the seed that we miss its pur- purpose. That we walk around saying, I don't know if you've seen this great seed that I have. It's some great things. It's going to be amazing what this seed can produce. But as long as the seed stays in your hand, it can't produce. Don't leave it in your hand. I said last week, God God doesn't bless what we hold on to. He blesses what we sow. And he gives you a seed, not so you can hold it in your hand, but so you can sow it. It's almost like the things of God should be held like this. So they can come in and they can go out. Not like this. And the moment we hold on to our seed, it can't produce. A seed is only a sign of things to come. It's not the thing. It's just a seed of the thing. It's a seed of potential. But if we hold on to our seed and we don't sow our seed, it will only ever remain a seed. The parable of the talent show shows us that seed is meant to multiply. It's meant to be planted. It's meant to reproduce. But also, that same parable shows us that our seed, once planted, is our responsibility. Our seed, our seed when it's sown, is now up to us to tend to. Paul said like this, I plant, planted and Apollos watered, but it's God who brings the growth. But God can't grow a seed out of your hand. He can only grow a seed out of the soil. And God gives us seed with a promise. I put here, seed is put in our hands and then our hearts regulate what we do with it. Exactly, he's a great gardener. But maybe, as I thought about this, God gives us a seed and then it's our responsibility to plant the seed, to sow the seed, to release the seed, but maybe the point's not the seed. This is how my brain works. Maybe the point isn't the seed, but growth. Because seed, But seeds need time to grow and cultivate and develop and mature. And we hate that word time. But, time, but seeds, all this, growth happens over time. Paul said it like this in 1 Corinthians, when I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, and I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. See, growth requires transition. It requires transformation. It's like Jesus said to the disciples, Follow me and I will make you. 
because it took a transition. You needed to stop what you're doing now and follow me. And in that process of sowing the seed of your life, I will transition you and I will make you. Jesus is saying you can become something that you currently aren't, but it's already on the inside of you. It's time to transition. But growth, it also requires a decision. And luckily for the disciples, it says immediately they stopped. They said, I'll plan it, I've sowed. Now immediately. The disciples were willing to embrace growth. The wi- no, the disciples that were willing to embrace growth are the ones who had the most impact. You see, plenty heard the seed that Jesus plant planted, but very few let it grow. It says some fell on this soil, some fell on that soil. Jesus was planting seed, but only a few of them said, okay, now I'm going to walk on this journey and allow you to make me what I'm not. And it was tough. It was easy. And it was time. It was three, it was three years of walking it out because it needs time to develop, to mature, to cultivate, and along. And then I was thinking, wow, that's, yeah, so maybe it is growth. But then I thought, well, maybe it's not growth. Because seed grows and then it becomes. So if we take a tree, we plant a seed, it grows and it becomes a tree. So maybe the point isn't just growth, maybe the point is the tree. Psalm 139.13 says this, You formed my inward parts and you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. You see, the world would tell you that you're born a certain way. No change changing it. That's just who you are. That's how you were born. That's all you will ever be. I want to tell you this morning that you were born with a purpose, that you were born with a plan, that you're not a mistake, that you were paid for with a price. So in a line that I can't believe I wrote down, and now I'm going to say, please don't Instagram it, become the tree that you were meant to be. (laughs) Terrible. Become the tree that you were meant to be. The seed was sown with watering and growth. Now grow into the tree that you're meant to be. Grow into the person that God's calling you to be. Jeremiah says this, he's like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream and doesn't fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green and it's not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. As we're growing, we're putting down the roots. I don't know if you've ever seen an olive tree. Through Italy, they were everywhere. And I don't know if you've ever seen the trunk of an olive tree. The top of an olive tree is beautiful. The trunk is ridiculous. It's a chaotic mess. It looks like some, it's like almost God said, when I'm making olive tree trunks, I'm just going to do this. See what, and see what comes up. 
They are, they are messy. They're disorganized. They're weathered. But they're planted. They are planted. You know, it takes 15 years for an olive tree to produce, to mature, and bear fruit. But here's what olive trees don't do. They don't move around. They stay planted. It's like they're steady under pressure. They know who they are. They know who... I'm speaking as if I know, I've talked to a tree, tree before. But they're confident in who they are. They're confident in who they're becoming. Imagine if you just pick, if you'd had an olive tree there for 14 years and you thought, well, I'm just going to move it. It's obviously not doing anything. And you were so close. But then you moved. But they know. They look messy and disorganized on the outside. But we know that the scripture says that why man looks at the outside, God looks at the heart. And it's not the outside that matters, that our lives can look messy and disorganized and weathered. But if we can stay planted, that it may take us 15 years to mature and bear fruit. So maybe the point's not the seed. Maybe the point's not growth. and Maybe it's not even the tree. But the point is the fruit that the tree Produces. Jesus said, you'll recognize them by their fruit. So if we can stay planted and we can let our roots go down, really it's the strong, healthy roots that are the secret to the success. Because the Bible says too that a healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit. So now if I can so if I can let all that happen, but I can get my roots to go down, then I will always be producing good fruit. In Romans it says it's like this behind and underneath all this, there is a holy, God planted, God tended root. If the primary root of the tree is holy, there's bound to be some holy fruit. Some of the tree's branches were pruned, that hurts, and you wild olive shoots were grafted in, yet the fact that you are now fed by that rich and holy root gives you no, no cause to crow over pruned branches. I love this line. Remember, you are not feeding the root, the root is feeding you. And Really, if I want to take that metaphor and apply it, maybe it's this, maybe it's our heart that is the root. That the heart of our lives is really the root of our lives. And if our heart is right, then we'll bear good fruit. If I can get my heart in line with what God's doing, then I'll always be producing good fruit. In Psalm it says you could, he, he bears fruit in season and out of season. If I can get my roots planted by the stream in Psalm 1, by the river, by the Spirit. If I can plant myself right there, I don't have to worry about what's going on, whether it's the chaos, whether it's the drought, whether it's the heat, whatever it is, because the roots go deep, because my source is right, my heart's right, and my heart, it regulates the hands, 
My hands are producing good fruit. So really, the question then becomes, what's, what's feeding your heart? What's feeding your root? Like, what's your source? What's the source that's feeding your heart day to day? What's that source? Is that source right? Is that source the source that it's meant to be? And I love the story in John 4 with Jesus and the Samaritan woman. I love that because really it's become, if you look at that story, it becomes all about the source. It becomes all about what's feeding her heart. What's the root of, the, of who she is as a person? Because that's what regulates our hands. And John 4, it says, when, when Jean Jesus was wearied by his long journey, he sat on the edge of Jacob's well. And he sent his disciples into the village to buy food, for it was already the afternoon. And soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water. I love that they sit on the edge of Jacob's well. Jacob was a jerk, spiritually speaking. No, he was just a jerk. Jacob, Jacob was not great. And, I, you know, he does get involved. You know, it's the, Ab- it's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And the fact that, that he got named in there shows that this is enough because he was brutal. He's one of my favorite char- characters, but he was a mess. He truly was a mess. You know, all the different things that he was, whether it's deceiver or cheats, or he was totally self-absorbed. He, was, he thought he was a big deal. He was crafty. He was manipulative. He was controlling. Uh, what else have I got here? He was self-dependent. He was fearful. He was quite often depressed. He was a thief. He was the worst brother ever. Um, he was an awful husband. He wasn't a very good father. This was better. But noon every day, that was where the Samaritan woman came to, to fill up her well, to fill up the bucket. To fill, that was her source, was Jacob's well. Craig Rochelle says, says it like this, becoming obsessed about pe- people think about us is the quickest way to forget what God says about us. And we can keep coming to that well, to Jacob's well, and making that our source, that all the wrong things. I brought, I brought my bucket today. Because um, this is what she had. She had a bucket. And, and because, you know, I don't want to make a mess, I've got water bottles, okay? But we've just got a pitch of these, all right? We've got to use some creative, some creative life lessons here. But this is what she bought to Jacob's well. And I think this is what we do sometimes. We spend our day, our day begins with an empty bucket. But then unfortunately we go, we go to the wrong source to fill up. We go to Jacob's well to fill up. We go up to the well that says you should be afraid. You should be afraid, right? You should be fearful, you know. You're, you know, you've, you're, de- you're depressed. This is all. This is all you. This is all you're ever going to be. This is all you're ever going to amount to. 
you know, you have a couple of kids, so you need two for that because they send you nuts. And this is this is the source that we're going to. We're going. To, we're trying to fill up on things. You know, I'm trying to I'm trying to fill up my well by by doing great at my job. That becomes my source, being successful at work, or you know, if I can just make enough money, if I can just you know hit the right investments, or I can buy the right crypto or whatever it is that becomes our source. We start, you know, we get on the we get on social media. If I can just give people the right angle of myself, they'll believe me that I'm doing great. They'll see that, oh, I'm just look how great our family is. It's perfect, especially from this angle where you can't hear the sound. And this is what we continually fill up with. She she was in the same. She just kept filling up. This bucket, this bucket full, it doesn't define who we are, but it will definitely try and remind us. And this is the weight that we carry around. We carry around every day. It's a bucket full of issues, a bucket full of regrets, a bucket full of doubts. And Jesus says to her, hey, why don't you go and get your husband and bring him to here too? And she says, look, you you don't know, but, you know, I've been married a bunch of times. And who I'm with now, he's not even my husband. He says, go and get your biggest regret. Not the man she's with. I'm sure that wasn't it. But just go and get the biggest thing and, and bring it here. Some of I think, maybe that's what Jesus is saying to you this morning. Go and get your biggest doubt and bring it in here this, this morning. We don't need to hide it anymore in some back room, alone, at night, whatever it is. Go and get it. Go and get your biggest doubt and bring it here in front of me. Bring it into the room. Go and, go and get it, whatever it is, whatever that's, whatever that's been holding you back, whatever's been filling up your bucket, go and get it and bring it here. You know, what if Jesus was saying that to you this morning? Go and get your... Regrets, doubts, fears, I don't know, DMs, emails, text messages, whatever it is. Go and get it. And I love in this story too the fact that Jesus arrived at the well first. Because we think that we need to have all of this in order before Jesus will talk to us. But what we find on our journey is when we finally make it to the true source, is their way waiting for, for us. Saying, I'm so glad that you finally got, got here. I'm so glad that we get to meet like this today. I'm so glad. We don't have to have it all together before God will use us. And, Je- and Jesus says to her, if you drink from Jacob's well, you will be thirsty again. But if anyone drinks living water, I give them, they will never thirst again and will be forever satisfied. For when you drink the water I give you, it becomes a gushing fountain of the Holy Spirit, springing up and flooding you with endless life. You see, we can keep coming back to our bucket, but when we get the source right, when we get the living water right, then like we read before, then the fruit will be right. If we plant ourselves next to the right source, 
David said, like I mentioned before, Psalm 1, blessed is the man who walks not in the wicked, stands in the way of sinners, or sits in the seat of scoffers. His delight is in the law of the Lord. He meditates it day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither. See, no matter what the season, if your source is right, you will produce good fruit. And it's like something, the source becomes, it's like something internal. Jesus is saying there, it's, it's an internal thing. It's not an external thing that happens. It's, it's like something comes alive in you. That's not even right. It's like someone comes alive in you. And you realize that the change that you've been so keen to try and apply, if I read the right book, if I do the right course, if I do the right thing, if I try and all the externals, you start to realize that when, when you get the source right, it's an internal change. The change comes from the inside out. And Jesus says it like this, it's like living waters will burst out of you. When we're right and the source is right, you can't hold it back from coming out of you. It's like your heart is regulating your hands non-stop. It's pouring out. Jesus, as their conversation goes on, it's, it's really, it's, it's what we believe about ourselves can affect others. And if you believe that your source is right, inside, you see, spoiler alert, she heads into town and they all believe her. But what we see is this, that her past hadn't changed, just the source had changed. That her past was still her past. She was still had been divorced a number of times. She'd still made wrong steps. She'd still done the... That hadn't changed. But now instead of going to Jacob, well, her source was right. Because we've heard over these things, the kingdom allows people to change their mind. The kingdom allows you to say, whoa, my past is brutal and I've messed up. The kingdom doesn't say, well, I'm sorry, you're excluded now. You were so close. Unfortunately, though, that was... No, the kingdom allows you to change your mind. That redemption always wins. And I love, at the end of the story, the end of the story, she does something amazing. See, everything that she had been carrying all the weight that she'd been carrying, all the doubts, all the fears, all the regrets, all the messed up relationships, all the steps out of bounds, all the things of the people who probably said, you're always going to be that way. Like, she's been married five times. Odds are, she was the problem. She'd been making the mistakes. She'd been messing up. People always love to point out to you that that's, that's who you'll always be. Your mother was like that. Oh, your family is always like that. Oh, yeah, you know them? They're always liars. You can't trust. They're always like that. And that's what we can fill up our bucket with. And that can be our source. But she does something really amazing. It says immediately, she dropped the bucket. We're going to need an ambulance. 
Jesus said, no more. I don't need that bucket anymore. I don't even want anything to do with it anymore. I just want it gone. I want it as far from me as possible. The Bible says that we should cast our cares onto him. He's saying, get what you've got and throw it as far as you can. A fisherman doesn't cast like this. He throws that thing as far as he can. And that's what we need to do. That's what, that's, that's what it is. We need to get the source right. I don't know where you've been over these past little season, in and out of the COVID restrictions and being hurt and painful, whatever it is. Maybe it's your past. Maybe it was your childhood. Maybe it was on the way here this morning. Maybe it was the past week. Maybe it was in the past month. I don't know whatever it is, but what is it this morning that you need to drop? What is it this morning that you just need to let go of? That you need to say, Jesus, I'm done with this. No longer will I let it define who I am. It'll remind you, but it doesn't define you. And this morning I want to encourage you, what what source is your heart being fed by? Where do you need to reposition your heart? Maybe it's got out. Maybe it's over here. Maybe it needs to come back and get planted into the river, get planted back next to the stream, get planted, just get the source right. If we get the source right, our heart will be right. And if our heart's right, it regulates the hands. Thanks for listening to the C3V podcast. To find out more about our church, visit us at c3v.ca.